You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit jabberjawmedia.com for more shows like this one. Can you smell what the doc is cooking? That's right. That was pretty cheesy, but it's how it is sometimes, guys. It's They all can't be winners. Welcome to the X-Man Show. I am your host, Doc Coyle, and uh, thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for checking it out, telling your friends. You know, I think, I think the word is spreading slowly, day by day, and I do appreciate it. So we have a we have a great show coming up for you guys. One of one of my musical heroes, Mr. Peter Witchers, ex member of the band Soilwork. But before I get in, into the conversation, I kind of want to talk about a couple things. Uh, your boy, you know the the ex man himself, you know is seeing a therapist. I have been for for a while, and I have to say, I I quite enjoy it. Um, not that it's <laughs> enter, entertainment. Uh, but I think it's good to kind of do a little house cleaning from time to time and, you know, go through, go through your stuff, go through your shit. I think I always think the way in which the mind works is, or, or even your, your subconscious is, is that you, you deal with your shit or your shit ends up dealing with you. So, so I've, I've been quite in enjoying the process because it's bringing so many things to light for me. Uh, one of the things is that I'm, I'm a very analytical person and someone who likes to find um, sanctuary in my intellect and in the mind and overthinking things. I, I, I like it. It's, it's comforting to me to kind of sit in this rational uh, protection you know, and, and the truth is much about human beings is that uh, we are really moved more often than not by our emotions. And me too, even someone that likes to think I'm I'm all logical all the time. That's not really true. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of activities or behaviors or instincts that are, are based on emotions. And if you don't have a connection to that, if you see everything in terms of logic then you're going to miss that so that's that's one great thing i've i've learned and uh one of the things i've been talking about a lot lately is you know i think even like doing this doing this show and i think it's the same thing if you're you're in a band or 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 anything is is and actually and, and i'll extrapolate that beyond that to just generally being on on social media right you put out a post 
and you see how many likes it has, you see how many comments it has. You look at your friends, you say, oh, look look at how many friends they have, look how, look how many followers they have. And we're starting to kind of view ourselves in terms of, of analytics, you know, and, and, and that this, this number uh, is a value for, for my worth. And I think, you know, coming from the music world, that was record sales, right? Oh, I sold this many records, so this is how much I'm worth. Oh, I've, our show drew this many people. We sold this many tickets. We sold these many t-shirts. This is, this is my value. And now kind of venturing into the world of writing, you get to see, oh, this, how many people viewed my article? This is how many people now with the podcast, how many people listened to an episode? And in a way I started to realize like I was getting caught up in the kind of the racehorse uh, or actually the horse race nature of, of how we kind of are, are keeping tabs on all this stuff. And in a sense, if, if you kind of follow that around, um, it's kind of like that dog chasing cars, you know, you're never really going to be satisfied. And I wasn't satisfied and it's something that I really need to, to work on you know, and not getting wrapped up into it and focusing on results, not process. And this, that's a discipline, you know, maybe even a, a somewhat spiritual discipline of, of being able to kind of be that Zen person who, who is not, uh, swayed by, by, by the weather. Uh, because guess what? Sometimes it's going to rain. Sometimes it's going to be windy. Sometimes it's going to be cold and you kind of have to get through it because ultimately it's about the season, right? Eventually, the winter will end eventually. Uh, the the new harvest will come. So, you know that's that's something I'm working on. It's something that I've I've found through through therapy. So you know, guys, just because you're going to see a therapist doesn't mean something's quote unquote wrong with you. It doesn't mean uh, that you're crazy. Uh, but we all have issues, and it's it's a great place to kind of you know I I, I look at it like like going to get a massage. Sometimes you got some knots. Up in your back, up in your neck, you get a, I get them worked out, and it's helpful, and I I feel a lot better about it. Um, so yeah, so so guys, you know, talk to some people. It is perfectly fine. So that's my little rant of the week. And before we get into our interview, I want to talk real quick about our sponsor for the X Men, and that is Rockabilia merchandise and their website rockabilia.com. They have half a million items, guys. They got it all, man. This is a one-stop shop for, and I'm sure you guys have heard of Rockabilia. They've been around for like 30, 30 years, 50 years, 70 years, a long time. They got all the stuff, and I'm I'm, I'm not even joking, guys, and, and it's one thing that's really important about this company is all their merchandise is official. It is, they are products from the actual bands and their it is official merchandise because there's a lot of bootleg stuff out there. Don't be that 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 hustle man. You know you don't, you, you know what I'm talking about the dude at the concert it's like yo man, Guns and Roses shirts ten dollars and you're like come on man and and you know it's it's some jacked, broke ass, bootleg stuff. Don't don't be that guy. Support or gal support the band, support starving artists out there and also the the companies you know the merchandise companies and and sometimes. Uh, some of these bands have deals with their labels and you gotta remember that's all the economy that helps this thing going so definitely please go check out rockabilia and their website rockabilia.com the sponsor of the x-man podcast 
So with all that business done, let's get into our talk. My main man, Peter Witchers, the homeboy, the dude with the tone in that hand, ex-soil work guitar player, wonderful songwriter, producer, father, husband, and good-looking son of a bitch. Check it out. So you're out with uh you're out with Misha right now? No, not now, man. We were out last week. Uh we um we did a uh we did two days uh, two clinic tours last week. Uh basically drove up to um or I drove up to to DC on uh, Tuesday and uh hung out with Misha and then we drove to Richmond the day after. We did Sam Ash and then um we flew to Orlando and drove down to Tampa did another clinic there and I flew, flew back Friday. You're still with Fender? Yeah. Okay, and Fender owns Jackson, so it's all through that channel? Correct. Yeah, it's it's basically a uh, – so inside of Fender, they have – you know, Fender, Fender basically um, competes in a certain marketplace. And, uh, you know, the com- there are other companies that they've acquired over the years uh, that, that is targeted, you know, to basically – go after uh you know a different part of the market and jackson being one of them but they they basically call it the fender specialty brands so you have like jackson i mean you've been to the booth you know so you know but you have jackson charvel uh evh and gretch basically so we're all kind of like the a, a different separate division from from fender those are all pretty big brands in their own right you know as far as oh, i'm yeah. concerned <clears throat> you know so that's Absolutely. uh expanding the i guess the 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 power, you know, dynamic is, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing what they've, what they've done over there to kind of bring all those together. And it feels congruent, you know, and just kind of expanding on that. And, you know, me still dealing with um, EVH stuff. So I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm back there. I'm, I'm, I'm getting some of that Fender love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. EVH stuff. It's, it's good stuff, man. Like I said, I, it's funny when I first, I remember when they first came out with the EVH stuff when I was still living in Sweden I mean, it was kind of weird because I never re- there was no one really knew who made this stuff, right? It was just it just said EVH on it. And like at least when you were playing the fifty one fifty, you knew PV was making that one, right? So this kind of like its own, you know. Then I found out, I was like, oh, I think Fender's kind of you know they somehow something have something to do with that, and um, you know later came to realize that you know Ed basically you know it's his brand, you know everything that uh, Ed basically everything that Ed. Uh, or everything that that EVH basically releases has to get the sign off and approval by Ed. So mm-hmm. every like guitar, every amp basically has to get signed off on by him. You know, nothing goes into production without Ed. Basically, but is he helping the design and all that? He has he has complete, uh, you know, like he the the process. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 a certain kind of process. But either way, I think for Ed. Uh, he has, you know, he has input on it. You know, sometimes ideas get pitched to him, but he, he normally comes up with that an idea and, you know, where he, where things want to go. And then you have, you know, my colleague, Matt, who you've met is a, you know, great guy who handles the product development side of the EBH and, you know, and he's, he's pretty tight with the whole EBH camp. So you were able to, because you were in Phoenix, right? Isn't that, is that where Fender is kind of based or? Yeah. Yeah. So Fender, the Fender headquarter, uh, is basically in Scottsdale. Um, uh, it used to be in California way back, but they, for some reason, they decided that, I don't know if it was for tax incentives or whatnot, you know, this was a while back, so they basically separated, so you have, you have the, the, the manufacturing facility for, uh, for the USA made goods is basically in California, 
Um, you know, when we have the Jackson Custom Shop in there, you have the Fender Fender Custom Shop in there, Gretsch Custom Shop. Um, you know, but we build, uh, you know, anything in there. You know, all the all the USA stuff is made there. And then there's a, there's another Fender facility in uh, Ensenada, Mexico, which is another place where we make um, some specialty stuff. And then, uh, you know, a lot of the you know the Mexican the Mexican Fenders, which are killer. So how did you end up in North Carolina? Well, well, it's kind of a, you know, it comes back to the fact that my wife is, was born and raised in North Carolina. And uh, when I first moved over, she, that's a long story, man. But either way, when I moved over here, she, she moved back from Atlanta to North Carolina. And, um, you know, I decided to, when I first moved over to the States, I was advised by, you know, an immigration attorney to not move around, you know, like mm-hmm. what I'm saying, because, you know, when you go through the whole green card process and all that stuff, you know, it's better to stay put. Otherwise, it can take much longer. It still ended up taking 14 months from the time that I, you know, sent all the paperwork and all that stuff, you know, until I got approved. But once we did that, um, man, I've I've, I've calculated I've, next year will be 14 years, man. I've lived a third of my life in the United States. Now it's kind of wild. Well, you, know? you speak but, English better than most Americans. so. <laughs> <laughs> it must it's be funny. A- it, it's, I, can, I can basically kind of infiltrate and, you know, and kind of like everyone kind of like mistakes me for, for being an American. But, you know, as, as soon as, you know, a couple of drinks and, you know, it's just, yeah, you, you can totally tell. Or, you know, you spend enough time with me and you'll you'll notice that my grammar isn't perfect, you know. But it's something, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 not. No, so, some of the Swedes just have it. I mean, whether I think it was the first time I met you, the first time I met Thomas Hawk from Meshuggah, he, yeah. he sounded pretty much American. And even... Like Michael Ackerfeld, who yep. he doesn't sound American. He almost sounds like he has a bit of British uh, mm-hmm. flavor to his voice. But he's he has such a command. Like his his the way he enunciates is so smooth and, and yeah and succinct. You're like yes he did. like and and of course you read his lyrics <laughs> and he's and he uses such beautiful language. I'm like how how do they know the language better than us? It's it's, it's incredible. <laughs> but Michael's awesome, man. He's he's the kind of guy that he's a storyteller. And I mean I. Obviously, I don't communicate with him in English, but, you know, he's he's the kind of guy, even when he switches over to Swedish and we, you know, we communicate in Swedish. It's been a while since I met him. He's a great guy, but um, it's just he, he's a he's a comedian, man. I mean, I'm just I, I've laughed so hard with that guy. We funny story is we did when we did uh, for those who are, who are familiar with, you know, the discography of soil work. When we did uh, a Predator's portrait, um we recorded in the new studio for Eben at that time, right? So there was an older studio for Eben, and then there was a new studio for him. So the new studio for Eben, we came in, and basically the studio was booked, you know, by Opeth. And I, I, I'd never really heard them, right? I mean, I, I knew of them. And so they were recording Blackwater Park at the time. So they were basically tracking guitars. First, we started with drums. They were in the smaller control room, and then, you know, they were in the bigger control. We kind of went back and forth, and Stephen Wilson was there. We had no a clue who that was, you know. We were just like, you know, drunken idiots that were playing video games. And I remember Stephen Wilson just walking in. It's like, hey, guys, uh, would you mind keeping it down a little bit? It's it's bleeding into the microphone. And we were like, okay, right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, that's when I get to know Michael. And I just, since then, I was like, damn. I mean, that was my favorite record with them. You know, or, I mean, I there I love the other records too. But that was like the thing that really got me hooked on Opeth. But anyway, it's... Me, um, me too. Well, it's, it's interesting you, you bring that stuff up because I've been... As I do with most of the, the guests on this show, even though for the most part everyone I'm a fan of or I'm friends with or we've come up in the same circles, but you know, I, I did I do my little refresher and go through some of the records and you know, it just brings me back. So I actually 
to think about the God forbid dudes is mm-hmm. especially me and my brothers, we got hooked on to that style of music very early on. And we were lucky yeah, enough yeah. to have record stores where we lived, uh, Vintage Vinyl, you probably guys did a signing there maybe at some time, or, um, and this other one called Curmudgeon Music. And so I got um, Steel Bath Suicide on import mm-hmm. when it was still on Listenable. And <laughs> yeah, same thing, same thing with um, with Children of Bodom, their first record we got yeah. on, on import. Because um, sometimes you would just, sometimes we you just you see the record artwork and you'd be like, all right, that looks kind of sick. And then you turn on the back and you'd be like, oh. <laughs> like we actually did that with, uh, you know the band Darkane? Oh yeah, good so friends of mine. Yeah, their first record, like just because it said like the the album artwork was sick, mm-hmm. and then it said Daniel Bergstrand produced it, and we're like, Psh. and then you put Sold. it on, and then you put it on, you're like, it's even better than you thought it was. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> a killer record, man. Incredible, still my favorite record by by them. And actually, it's funny listening to some of your guys' earlier stuff. It seems like they were very much influenced by you guys, or I don't know, maybe you guys were uh, sucking from the same uh, same water. Uh, so here, well, that's that's for sure. Uh, but it was it's really interesting because a lot of people have always asked me about you know what 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 is it about Sweden you know and and all this stuff and it's you know I think way back I didn't really get it you know I didn't really understand but you know having some distance from it living in, in the states for a while I can kind of you know I, I'm unable to differentiate certain cultural differences between Sweden and the United States right um, so Sweden is is a highly competitive music environment. Mm-hmm. And and it's not something that the Swedes will probably admit to, but I can I can tell you now that you know it was whenever someone put out a record, you know everyone would be kind of like casual about it, not saying anything. But I guarantee you, like if either if it was In Flames at the gate, well at this time it was the Haunted, but either way it was at, you know In Flames at the gates, uh, Arch Enemy, you know Dark Tranquility, whatever band it was, right, including Dark Kane, it was like everyone when that album came out went home and listened to it and just like god damn it they did it fuck man you know now i'm you know i'm just like shit now we're gonna have to top that right so it's it's like that's the swedish mentality like you don't really sell yourself um you don't really as a swede you're kind of reserved you know i'm not i don't fit that that personality obviously but normally swedes are pretty reserved i think until they get alcohol in them i mean you've toured with swedes so you would know but plenty other than plenty right and you know that you know sweets can be kind of reserved but when you really get to know them it's like you know sweets are pretty competitive and i think that's what's really driving you know the music scene over there a lot i mean of course you have cultural uh you know it's 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 a lot easier to basically get funding to do to get a rehearsal space and all the stuff mm-hmm. and that sure does help but it's it's the whole the friendly competition thing you know because everyone's friends but at the same time that everyone wanted to top the other pe- person's record and if they say that they didn't they're lying I'm, i can just tell you that right now well the interesting thing is so many of those albums were coming out so close to each other that, mm-hmm. I, that I'm, I'm almost wondering so you'd have it seems like for me it was obviously slaughter the soul and right yeah. around the time i i discovered the record and then i had terminal spirit disease and i was like it seemed from at my perspective that was the only band. Then I went to the store, and they would what they would do is because at the gates was so popular within our little metal community, they mm-hmm. would put stickers and signs on other bands that were similar to at the gates. So that's uh, yeah. that's how I discovered Horacle by In Flames, mm-hmm. and then I'm sure it's it was probably the same thing. Like you would go to the record store bullshit talk about music oh well if you like that then check out this record and you kind of it was very much uh word of mouth but one of the interesting things to me about 
all those bands because it seemed like it was at the gates and i'm sure from your perspective it was completely different but for us it was like everything else came after that um even though it was really within the span of a year or two that all like the floodgates had pretty much opened and i know dark tranquility was out uh at the yeah. same time and there were um and obviously in flames had earlier records out um but with you guys you seem to come out with uh very high-end production was the first album actually done it at fredman as well no 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 um yeah oh oh yes we did yeah most of our records were done at studio fredman until a little bit later on when i got more into production you know the it was the place to be man and i was like for us i mean i can honestly say i was 18 when we did when we did uh steel bat suicide so you know that was one of those times you're absolutely correct first of all um at the gates was kind of like it was at the gates and hard work with carcass right yeah those were the those were like the two milestones like okay that is melodic death metal uh, you know and that's basically just you know they basically that was it and then they and broke, from, broke up <laughs> well right 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 you know i guess but 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 at the same time i think that that was kind of what started the whole thing you know with uh you know and everyone after that's like oh that's awesome you can actually play not just you know dissing a death metal and do growl vocals you can actually do melodic metal and you know like kind of like you know expand on and in flames obviously i mean they were the first pioneers of that i think that they you know, they basically took it to an, a new level. I think at the gates was a little bit darker always. Of course, and thrashier um, and just faster. Yeah, and and it was just the melodies were just a little bit more haunting. And then the flames kind of took the whole Swedish folk music and kind of you know somehow managed to mix that into uh, you know to the uh, you know to their style, right? I mean, personally, you know, offensive flames guys. I know you, lo I love you guys, but at the same time. The, the whole Swedish folk music and metal, that never really appealed to me. I did really, but, but when they actually came out with, uh, I think it was Colony, I was like, yep, that's it. That's, that, was, that was it for me. So I think Colony, Clayman, those were the two, my two favorites. I like Cloud Connected too, but I, I guess I just toured so many, did so many dates with them, I can't really listen to the album anymore. You know, yeah. that's the only, you know. <laughs> well, so, so go, go back and listen to a lot of your earlier records. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed is obviously there was a lot of speed. You know, mm -hmm. the stuff was very thrashy. Um, the technicality was kind of at you guys were pushing that all the time. And I'd say at that time, to me, it was like you guys and Arch Enemy were the ones where it's like when the solo kicks in, you know, this solo mm -hmm. is going to be about a minute long. <laughs> and <laughs> and dudes are going to like put their big dick on the table and let you know what's 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 going on. And that was. You know, it was it was very aspirational because it it had that uh, virtuosic kind of uh, element to it that for us was like, all right, you know, just just being young guys and feeling like the the, the bar was so high, but it made right. it made you know people on our end want to play better and get more proficient at our instruments. I mean, how how are you guys? If you were that young. How are you that technically that good? Did you go to school for music or? No, man. I know it's it's one of those things where, um, I guess I just practiced a lot back then, and, and like I said, it was basically just being driven by this kind of friendly competition. You know, what about I the never... theory? Because it seems when I listen to it, it sounds uh, studied to me from a melodic sense. Everything seems to fit together uh, from right. a the theoretical standpoint. Is that is, is that have anything to do with it, or you just you kind of picked it up well, through osmosis? That's I appreciate that. I can, I know for a fact when I listen back to the old, uh, the really old soul work records, you know where, you know it doesn't really work, but it does work in a way. You know, like I never really studied. I mean, I've studied theory a little bit, but not to the point where, 
you know, I couldn't break things down. I could tell you what, you know, what mode it's in and whatnot and stuff like that. But no, not really, man. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, kind of, ex- you know, just kind of experimenting until you found what you thought sounded good and kind of fit together. You know, I mean, Steel Bath Suicide is kind of a strange record because it's one of those we're just getting started and we were kind of just trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And, uh, you know, and at that time, I mean, it, it's interesting because the whole solo thing, you know, we were so focused on that. And we, we used to write these like really elaborate, like not just a solo, but, you know, the, the section that was underneath, like the solo was one of those things where I, um, you know, I remember Fredman telling us, he's like, he's like, why the hell do you guys spend so much damn time, you know, composing the music underneath the lead? You know, and we basically said, well, what that's, you know, that you can't, it has to be, you know, that will just make the lead that much better, you know, because if, if the, the worst thing, because I've done a lot of session work on well, for other guys and, you know, when people send me stuff and a lot of times I always want to hear what it is that they're doing, because for me, just doing like three chords and, the and you know, for the lead section and there's really it's really hard for me to kind of vibe with it. Right. And I think that, you know, it's if you have a really cool foundation underneath, you know, that can help you kind of. uh that, that forces you to think a little bit more about what, what what you can put on top. But I don't like noodling just for the sake of noodling. Um, and I never consider myself to be a shredder, ever. I never did. And I still, to this day, do not. I still think that I'm more of a guy who basically plays melodies with a little flair. That's it. you know. And I'm, I'm dead serious. I, I've, that, that's, that was always my approach. I mean, I didn't know theory. So for me, it was kind of funny. I was, uh, I was talking to Misha about this last week. The way I learned how to play, you know, my, my work my way around on the, on the fretboard was basically to whistle because I didn't know where. I mean, if I I didn't know how to kind of improvise and I was like, OK, but I knew how to kind of whistle from a very early age. So it was always like if I can do something memorable whistling, it, then I could probably figure it out on the guitar. And that's kind of how I did my leads in the beginning. It's, it's that's kind of how it was, you know. Well, I I even though I guess from my perspective, um, the technique was always so clean. It wasn't about it's the fastest thing, but it was very well done and i i agree with you to me everything felt um melodically to build and make sense and have an you know to me the the, the greatest solos have a narrative and yeah. um and should make you feel something in the song and create its own peak and i think especially at at, at that time where before you guys had uh, melodic vocals in a way, you had to rely on the the melody of the guitars to create this kind of uh, melodic release in a lot of ways and create a hook in a, in, a, in a lot of ways. And that's what's really special about about that era of of metal, which kind of showed you could do that. Which is obviously a very old kind of thing for heavy metal, right? It's a, that's really no different than what an Iron Maiden uh, would do, yeah, um, or something. So it's something that's very purely of the DNA of of heavy metal but no i mean it was it was just something that that really stood out about about the band and then when uh predator's portrait came out uh then you guys kind of took this other step where you started to bring some melodic vocals and all of a sudden you kind of and this is the thing it's not even fair to me it's just like all right so you got this guy uh your singer you know speed you know and he's like he has this really great screaming voice and it's pretty diverse like he can do different tones and then he starts singing you're like oh and he's an incredible singer too. Like he, there was no like take one album for him to suck at singing. He just comes out the gate and he's already really good. Was that something he could already do, or was it? it you just figured it. It just kind of was. It just so happened he could sing. 
it's funny. Bjorn didn't start out as a singer. I mean, he started out as a, as a guitar player in a ska band. I mean, that's really funny, right? When I met Bjorn, so you he was the pictures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, it's like you know, and it was like that was when when I met him in high school. Uh, that's what he was doing. But he was like kind of like he was really into black metal and like he, that that was his thing. Like he was super into black metal and some melodic death metal. But you know, and uh, it just kind of happened that. He wanted to just try out, you know, so when we, when we first got started, he never sang melodic. I, I don't think I've ever heard him sing melodic at all, you know, like never until we did. I think we did. So we did we did uh, the Chain Arm Machine. And then for a bonus track on that album, we basically did one where they did a song where we t where we tested out kind of with clean vocals. And I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. You know, I mean, he kind of had a he almost had like a like an 80s synth pop kind of vocal which is kind of you know we were like okay that's kind of you know that's kind of different but let's see how it goes you know so it wasn't really like we didn't really make it a plan to i guess we were kind of chasing our own sound right i mean little did we know that when we started doing that everyone started doing it at the same time I, we can't take credit for it i mean you had bands like i mean you had bands like fear factor that had been doing clean vocals forever right mm -hmm. i mean so it's not like it was nothing really it, i didn't think it was something completely new but it was like once we started kind of doing that, it seemed like it, that was kind of like the metal community was just so ready for it, right? Well, everyone, I, mean, well, I, I think it was, it seemed to be like a, um, a, an idea that was happening in unison uh, because in Flames, they had a couple spots mm -hmm. on uh, Colony and then Opeth was already doing their thing, even though they, they were already doing it. You That's know, true, but yeah. even bands like uh, Amorphous, uh, bands like Paradise Lost, um, and I, I know Dark Tranquility started to kind of flirt with that on uh, mm -hmm. what's, what's that record? Um, they kind of went almost gothy. Yeah, that got shut down pretty quickly, I think. But yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> that's. I think they did. I think they did one record, and uh, you know, I think the other band members weren't really like feeling it, so I guess they kind of went back to their old ways. But that know? was a thing where you'd have you look at a band like Paradise Lost, where they were a straight up death metal band, and then you yeah. or even Catatonia, I'd I put in that in that category. Oh where, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they were a straight up death metal band and then became basically a goth band um yeah. or however you want to say it dark melodic rock um so so it was uh, something that was definitely happening with within the scene did you guys so actually there's there's, there's two questions i want to know first previous to chain heart machine because this is obviously before you were on mm -hmm. nuclear blast what did did you guys have a career or is it still kind of you had day jobs and you would do shows on the weekends or was it when was when did it get like really serious as like oh, okay this is, could be our jobs um i don't think that happened until um i don't think that happened until we got to you know natural born chaos really? to be honest with you so what we were you guys doing like what would you, so, what were your day jobs <laughs> Well, um, we all did different things. You know, I, I went to school for graphic design and, uh, and pre-press and, and all that, all that good stuff. And there was, it was, um, Sweden is kind of like our high school is kind of like vocational training. So you kind of train for, to go into the work field, basically like the, the high school, you, you apply for high school and you have to select a certain, um, direction. Right. So I selected one that was like, uh, you know, like part of it was marketing, graphic design, pre-press, uh, music recording, and broadcasting. It was kind of like a very pretty broad thing. And then after that, I got a job working. Um, it wasn't it wasn't very glamorous, but I had two jobs where I basically worked 
uh, at these uh, pretty big companies where they were doing uh, huge, you know, banners when they put those on, you print these huge banners that you put on, that you see on buildings and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, like ads and stuff like that. So I was, I was working with that kind of stuff, but it was kind of funny because, because I was doing, um, uh, because I was doing some of that stuff, uh, we, I mean, I did a lot of that, you know, like the, the layouts and, you know, like sending that off to the label and doing all the, you know, putting all the lyrics and stuff like that in there for, you know, we did a lot of stuff looking back at it right now. It's kind of crappy because they, either way, that's what I was doing. Um, um, and you could take off to do tours and things like that. Yeah, they were pretty good with that at that point. You know, it wasn't like my job was a super demanding job, and we it was, it was me and another guy, and he kind of knew. I kind of said that when I when I took the job, I was like, hey, I'm I'm doing music on the side, and you know, I'm gonna have to be able to take. I mean, for me, it was just like I just I just wanted to have a job so I could pay my rent, but I didn't really give a shit about my job. You know, yeah. it's, it was the it was the it was the music, right? I mean, I wanted to succeed in music, so you know, I would work all day. Um, and then we would probably rehearse like three, three times a week. And then I would basically just write, you know, it was in practice, you know, it was kind of like that. Um, now we're, Lauren, now, I'm sorry, sorry. I just want to catch up. So were you guys, before you were nuclear blast, were you getting a fan base within mainland Europe or like, how does that usually work? Like, are you, you're, you're working on music and you're in Sweden. Are yeah. you, all right, we're going to try and get on festivals or we're going to get on tours or how does it like, like. How am I finding out about your records? <laughs> yeah, halfway across the world and w- waiting for this band to come to play in America. Like, could were you feeling that buzz and that hype on the band w- w- where you guys were? So that didn't. Well, okay. So starting from the beginning. So while we were, um, you know, we got signed with Listenable Records when we were still in high school. So we were still in school at that time, and you know. Once we, once we, gra- I mean, it, actually, even when we were still in school, I think what we did is we, we, uh, we got hooked up through Listenable with, with a booking agency. Um, I think, uh, Life, he still works for, I don't, I don't know if he still works for, um, Central Media in Europe or whatnot, but he was the guy. I know, Life from, uh, do, yeah, do, do Scented. Right, right. So he was the one who basically, uh, he booked shows in the Benelux uh, countries, right? So Benelux is pretty close to Sweden. I mean, you could drive down there in like four hours or something like that. So we would basically go down from Sweden. We were no one really. I mean, we were nobodies in Sweden. I mean, when we first started out, we kind of started building our name, like in you know, in Holland, Belgium, and sometimes we would do a few select shows in Germany. You know, mm-hmm. just like you know, like on the way back. Uh, and we did a couple of times, you know, and actually did a couple of shows with with Darkane too. Um, and that seems to that seemed to kind of create the the buzz, you know, and. Um, was there a so scene? To, was there a scene for that for your style, or were you guys going playing with like pure death metal bands or playing with pure yeah, thrash bands? Yeah, at that time, I mean, you still had, you had bands like um, we weren't we weren't nearly. I mean, and Flames was already big, and and uh, you know, Dark Tranquility they already they were already big, and they you know, so it wasn't really like we were just trying to create a name for ourselves, and we basically just played with whoever wanted to play with us, right? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of it. So we drove down. We didn't know who the other bands were and we got to meet friends and it was just like, you know, word of mouth and you kind of have to do that. Right. I mean, you, so we played shows and it was freezing cold and, you know, we, we would drive back. We would we would we would get off school on Friday, drive down on Friday, play a show on Saturday and Sunday, drive back on Sunday night and then be back at school on, on Monday. You know, it'd be kind of like that, you know, and uh, we did that, you know, I wouldn't say we did that forever, but because you know, it was kind of the last year of high school. And then after that, we got signed. Um 
and we did and i think at that point i think nuclear blast and, and century media started sniffing a little bit mm-hmm. because we did you know steel bath suicide got really good you know get a good you know vibe and then we when we had a lineup change. I mean, Sorbuk is, you know, it's it's kind of a farce at this point because there's been so many lineup changes. But at the time, the old drummer left the band, and we found Henry from Stockholm. And that this guy just like this guy at the time, he was like way above our level as far as like would you know, like anything we threw his way, like as far as I was like, holy shit, this guy's amazing, you know. So we were just like, let's just go balls out on this album. So that's why, I mean, if you compare Steel by Suicide to Shane our machine there's such an obvious like in my opinion just lift from oh no like, de- know, definitely what, definitely and 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 henry is probably i mean he is a big reason for that and um my uncle who joined the band um i mean he grew up with like black sabbath deep purple so you know he was basically telling me he's like well you know you really need to he kind of schooled me on all the old hard rock stuff mm-hmm. which i think has had played a big part in you know my influences of of like you know um you know how i play guitar how i structure songs so he kind of came in and that's why you have a big reason for these elaborate like uh, you know lead sections is partially because of him and then me kind of teaching me the ropes of how to write this stuff and then we kind of just fed off of each other right when we were writing you know music but shane our machine and then after that i think that you know i then actually nuclear blast and century media started coming out to the shows and they were mm-hmm. like, hey, so, you know, because we had, uh, it was like we had a two deal, I don't know how we swung it, but we had a two deal record with listenable records, right? And he was basically, uh, he got the, our demo from Mike Amott because Mike at the time was starting Arch Enemy. He lived, oh, he worked in the city where we lived in Helsingborg. And then we kept like giving him demos and he was just like, He's like, yeah, I hope you don't mind. I sent your demo to Listenable because he was asking if there are any bands around. And so, I mean, I've, I've said this many times. Mike's the reason we got signed, you know, and, and so we were eternally grateful for that. And we got to, you know, we were I mean, I was a huge Carcass fan. So it was like, oh, shit, Mike's working in town. You know, it was, <laughs> it was really, you know, it was it was really cool, man. And and um, and we were, and he showed me like when they were working on uh, Black Earth and I was like, damn, dude, this is fucking great. You know, and and um, it, it, anyway, to make a long story short, after after we got signed, after we did Shane Art, you know, we basically, you know, we got, you know, Nuclear Blast and we, we kind of locked up because Nuclear Blast and Century Media kind of got in a bidding war and we chose to go with Nuclear Blast, you know, um, which I don't really think it, that was that was actually that was the right move at the time. And um, so the first record on Nuclear Blast was, you know, Predator's Portrait. And that's when we started. That's when we did our first big, uh, big tour, you know, mm-hmm. with with listenable records. We did one tour that was kind of miserable but it was okay you know like it was, you know, everyone, it was everyone like has a, to have those tours right it was like a winter tour um in europe we did a lot of eastern uh, you know europe and we were driving in a you know in the um <laughs> in like an rv with a propane tank that was you know and, and everyone gets sick and it was like it was pretty bad but it was you know we, we enjoyed it was actually touring with christian at the time it was kind of like okay so we were like the odd guys out, right? Everything else was extreme, and we were like, "Hey, how about some melodic guitars?" You know what I'm saying? It was, it was, it was. But at the same time, I was like, "I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that back." I mean, that was, that was really a, a, it was an experience. Let's just put it that way. Those guys are sweethearts, and you know, I would, you definitely want to be their friends. You know, you don't want to be on the on the other on the end of things. You know? Yeah. Those, the, uh, the, those, those are character builders, and I think in many ways, because this happens a lot, 
a lot of times you have this band where they're they're young, they're in school, they're around that age, and then but they've never and they've never toured. So they get signed, then they finally go on tour. They realize they hate each other, they hate touring, the band mm-hmm. breaks up on like their first and so a lot of times it's better to kind of get that through your system before you have a record deal for real and say, can we, you know, if you can take it and you can deal with it, they're like, all right, that'll, it'll probably be uphill from here. It's funny because I, I just had Brian from Shadows Fall on the show and their first real tour once they signed with Central Media was also with Krizian. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brian's a good dude. We toured with them too in Europe. I know that were that was that was an interesting tour for sure with uh, with Bodum. But yeah, I mean, it's after that it was. Um, you know, we learned a lot from. We actually ended up canceling half with, and not half. We did most of the tour, but uh, our drummer got so sick, and he like one one day he woke up and had like hives all over his body, and the, the we didn't have any heat, and the you know in the RV it was like you know like you could literally see like the ice hanging from the ceiling. It was like ah, dude, I'm sorry, this is it, dude. We were like, okay, no, we're not going to do this, and we kind of had to bow out. We and then the the damn RV wouldn't start. It was like this is just you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you've you've been there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you've mm-hmm. you've you've had tours for everything. Nothing's working, right? Um, and then the tour we did after that, you know, I'm not going to go through all the tours. There's been so many, but the the big tour we did was we were opening up for uh, Nevermore and Annihilator um, when they did. Yes, when they did uh, Dead Heart in a Dead World, and that's I mean they were that. It was a crazy buzz for Nevermore at that time over there. I mean, it was huge. Classic I mean, that record, record just classic yeah, record. that just took off, and you know, and that's the thing too. I think that you know, the you have to tour. I mean, it's just how it is. You know, if you want to make it with your band or make it, or if you want to, it's it's all you got to look at touring is just like it's a way for you to to advertise your name, but it's also a networking event. I think that you know, you get to know so many people that you know you form relationships for the rest of your life you know and that's that's the that's that's the best thing that i think has if i'm looking back at you know all that stuff it's like i've met so many people that i probably never would have met if i never went into what i was doing you know and that's i'm internally grateful for that because it, it teaches you so many things about different cultures about people from you know you know uh all over the world you know and I don't know. It's it's it just definitely broadens your um, your mind and your view on and how you how you look at things. You know, when you tour with other people. When was the first time you guys played in America? <clears throat> we played the first time we played the states was we did. Um, oh God, that was was it was it the uh, Milwaukee Metal Fest? The, oh yes, it was. <laughs> yes, okay, you, the, you knew what you knew when I said that. You were like, oh yeah, yeah, it must have been Milwaukee. Well, yeah. the, the Milwaukee Metal Fest actually most of the bigger swedish metal bands from that era all their first shows were in milwaukee i think uh mashuga yeah. their first show Op- i actually saw opeth's first show ever in 2001 was it 2000 or 2001 i can't remember but anyway yeah i think it was actually no i think it was actually 2000 i saw opeth and i didn't even know who they were i was just like yo right. opeth this point i was like who <laughs> <laughs> and i was like okay it's pretty cool and then uh, yeah. and of course like like you blackwater park came out i was like oh i see what they're talking about but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you did that what in two thousand one? It must have been right around that time. Um, we basically flew over uh, on a Friday, played the Saturday, and then flew back. At uh, but you know it was it was an experience. You know I think yeah, that was that was a good experience for us. Um, did you see the because, ex- excitement? Did you see people getting? In? Yeah, I did, and it was like you know I met. It's funny now that I think back of it. There's there are so many bands that played there 
that at the time were nobodies, you know, like, like I think Children of Bowden played the day after us, and you know some people knew who they were, but not really. And it was kind of like they didn't really have a good experience the first time they came to the states, you know. And they they were so spoiled with, they were making, you know, they were they were pulling in so many. Um, I mean, when they were touring the, Europe, they were selling out places, mm-hmm. you know. And, and basically, they got kind of spoiled with how things were always catered. There was always shower and all that stuff. And I remember telling those guys. Um, I said, you have to tour the States. It's just how it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's when you first start out, it's going to be, you know, the clubs are going to be a certain way. It's, you just kind of have to deal with it, but then it's going to take off. I was like, you, you, you guys are making a big mistake if you don't, if you don't entertain that market, you know? And, you know, I'm not saying that they did that because I said it, but they did their first U.S. tour, like a big one. And, you know, and they fucking crushed it, you know, and I, I knew it, I knew it. And I told them afterwards, I said, I told you, I mean, I said next tour the dead is, you know, the vibe, you know, they, they, they blew up, you know? Well, I think some of that too, though, there's the relationships are not equal. I think that, uh, in America, we put European bands on a pedestal. So sometimes if you wait and you actually don't force the touring early on, it just makes people more wanting to see you and especially if you're putting out great records so i I use opeth as an example they didn't play in america until they had put out five albums and they they didn't do much touring actually but even for a band like you guys i think by the fact that you weren't really the first time i saw you was on natural born chaos at the new england metal fest and yeah so at that point that was a horrible show but yeah well i was i was pumped up but it it all the people who were fans of the band we had three, four albums worth of stuff to be like, we love this band. We're not just like a Fairweather fan at that point. We're yeah. we're pretty much all in. And if you go before you're, and, and I think that excitement will kind of build. Like I'll give you another crazy example. When we, we were touring with Cradle of Filth in 2001, doing right. large theaters, um, you know, anywhere from a thousand to sometimes 2000 and some shows even bigger. And the uh, Romstein was doing the same venues, more or less. Mm-hmm. That was the last tour Romstein did in America for like ten years. And the next time they came back, they were doing arenas. They were drawing fifteen thousand people. They went from doing two thousand people a night to fifteen thousand by what? By just staying away and saying we're not coming back until this <laughs> and that. So I think I think it can actually. But the on the opposite uh, way, I don't. You know, depending on the t- kind of band, I think. Like we had to keep going back to Europe, and every time it got a little better, but it was a very small grind, you know. Yeah. But but I don't think they put American bands on the same pedestal. Maybe it's a little different than like if you're a hardcore band, that yeah. scene they tend to kind of look to to America a little bit more. So I don't know. I think it can, it can go both ways, but I can say so specifically with Natural Born Chaos. I think for me as a fan, I saw a big shift in the band musically, but also like to me it even though um i know some some fans were disappointed they felt like oh it wasn't quite as crazy or thrashy or technical but to me it was like a benchmark for the band where i was like all right this band is on another level and you know did you feel the same way with that record uh that yeah i mean the, the thing was i wanted to tour the states you know badly you know like before that you know but it's it's it was one of those things being on nuclear blast you know they had such a big presence in europe and at the time you know you had some you had some, you know, diehard people that were working for for Nuclear Blast over here that were just desperate to kind of like help, you know, build the bands that they thought was going to be, 
that they thought were going to be successful in the States. But the problem was at the time that Nuclear Blast didn't really believe that they thought every band should be treated equal. Right. And I was like and, and they were like, well, it doesn't really work like that because the U.S. market is not, you know, you know, you have bands that no one really gives a shit about, you know, in the United States. And those, we can't we can't promote that the same way. I'm just telling you, these bands right here will do well in the United States. And that that was just something that were you until, part of that group? Well, we were part of the group that they were pitching, right? I mean, yeah. it was like, you know, because in Flames, they already knew in Flames was doing well. I think they came over here with Earth Crisis or something like that the first time. And that, no, that apparent Earth Crisis played with in Flames. I was at, like, was that? I was at three of those shows and pretty much the only band anyone cared about was in Flames. Oh, okay. I don't know. But I think <laughs> no, 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 no diss to Earth Crisis. I just don't think it was a great fit for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess they kind of got a, um, I mean, either way, that's kind of what we thought. It's like, oh, okay, interesting. They're touring with the hardcore band. And, you know, I mean, it's, it was just everything kind of just happened after that. You kind of look at the the states and the music. It was kind of like, you know, some people were resentful. I thought it was cool because you could kind of hear the Swedish metal morph together with kind of like a hardcore vibe, you know. And that was like, wow, this is kind of cool because it's, it's something I'd never heard before, you know. Um, and it's, it's not really like we in Sweden were doing anything original. I mean, it's like you could you could make the case and say like, well, hell, man, it sounds like uh, Iron Maiden with screaming vocals. Mm -hmm. But you know, someone, but no, it's not. Just you know, it's like I don't give a fuck, dude. It's like you know, whatever. It's like this is what happens to music. It's music is a language, right? Doesn't matter what music style you play, whether you play you know samba or death metal, it doesn't matter, you know, because you know you can. No one's gonna ever be able to tell you what the fuck you can create. I mean, you are the one who create whatever you want to create. I mean, it's no one, no one can tell you that. I mean, and if you if you're not true to yourself and what you do right, and if you can't really like feel the song or feel what you're doing, then it's going to come across as not being genuine. Um, but Natural Bone Chaos was the first tour we did in the states. Uh, we did it with I think it was Hypocrisy. Killswitch was opening. That was their first tour. Oh yeah, that's yeah. when I that's when I got to know those guys. That's the tour um, that made Jesse want to quit music. <laughs> yes, it was because Adam, I didn't realize that they were, were kind of all straight edge at the time. And Adam was like, we came to Austin and it was like Bike Week, and I was like, dude, let's do fucking car bombs. And he's like, okay, you know, he he didn't really didn't drink, and I he, he was just I got him destroyed down there, and it was his time to drive. I didn't know this, and all when we got out of the bar, I just saw Jesse. Sorry, Jesse, he can probably laugh at it now, but anyway, he I saw him in the in the van, fucking just pouty as shit you know and I, I realized it was one of those things he just got married mm -hmm. you know he he probably didn't want to be on tour and i mean roadrunner was just fucking i mean they were pumping money into that thing you know i mean i you could feel it on the tour you could just feel like this like i i knew at that time i was like this band is going to be huge i just know it i mean i could just feel it you know and plus you know with with guys that are that genuine and i love the music i thought their first record was fucking amazing you know so well, we, there's, a, we there's kinda, a lot of soil work in the Killswitch DNA, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, and yeah, I, I think. So. I mean, and and, and it, I mean, I can openly admit too. I mean, the, the style that they did was really cool because they were kind of taking parts of like not just not just like the the, the Swedish melodic stuff, but also like some Meshuga and all this stuff. And it kind of just it, they made it work. I mean, it's just like, but you know, I I realized you know once I got to know Adam. I'm not going to give them all the credit, but when, when you when I filled in for them, and I got to play all these parts, I'm just like I was I telling Adam. Like, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was, and then I would just realized like, damn, you know, I said you're a talented motherfucker, man. I was like, you. I mean, it's like you because when you really start to analyze the stuff that they're doing, 
there's a lot of thought behind it, man. And there's the, the way that they structure things. I mean, you talk about theory and all that stuff. I mean, Adam can school anyone, any mm-hmm. day, right? He's this goofball that just doesn't want anyone to take him seriously. But when it gets down to composition and to recording and stuff like that, oh, he is, he is just, it's just no. I mean, he is just literally militant when it comes to like you know how things should be structured he knows exactly how he wants it to be you know mm. it's all of course a collaborative effort between all those guys but adam is kind of like the in my opinion the brain with you know kind of puts all the pieces together you Did, know? didn't you do some uh training with him as far as recording yeah i mean that i could say, you could say that yeah I, I basically is that I, the wrong way to word it i don't i don't no, wanna... no 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 that's right i mean i came over here and uh, they were working, uh, he was working on the All of Remains record and asked if I could help track some of the guitars. And, you know, at the time it was like, I said, sure, I'd love to do that, you know. Um, you know, but he taught me some tricks, man. And I mean, I'm forever grateful for, for what he taught me when, when we were doing that stuff. I mean, and uh, that was kind of the head-on thing I wanted to do. I wanted to do music production. That that was the reason I left Soul first the first time, you know. I was mm-hmm. just... I was just fried on the touring, man. It was like we did Ozfest, and you know we we did pretty much eight months of touring, and I was I was just burnt out. Well, another just, I, another thing too, I want to ask you about. You guys put out so many albums in what seemed a very short amount of time. It seemed like I never got to get uh, tired of the previous record, and then you guys were putting out another record. How? What about you know? It seemed that was also very breakneck. Was that um, a matter of just? being very ambitious or you guys just had so many ideas that it was just easy it's called being young and letting a management and a record label kind of dictate what you should be doing mm-hmm. so you that, felt that stretched was, well it's just like because we were basically everything we got to hear from our um i listened a lot to the to to our uh <clears throat> to the american record label you know i mean nuclear blast on this side and they were basically saying like you you can't you have to you have to tour for this thing you have to do this you can't just go in and do another record because there's still life in this record right and i kept pushing that you know and then they were also like no no we're done with the album cycle we're gonna do this and this okay we got to start writing and you know at the time you know it's just you don't know too much and you know that's the that's the really sad part about the music business is like when you kind of um when you realize that it's not really about your music, it's about business, you know, then you're just like, oh, fuck, you start thinking a little bit differently, which which is kind of unfortunate, you know. And I think as we, um, you know, Sorbrook has definitely made some mistakes along the way because of that, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, when you're young, you don't really know. I mean, you, 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 you trust people that have been doing this for a while, but then you realize that those guys are just, you know, just out to make money, right? And it's not they don't really have your best interest at heart. So I'm not saying, you know, there are certain records with soy work I feel have a special place in, in, in my heart and that and there's then there then there are records that I feel that that make me feel nothing. You yeah, know? so so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna actually give give my <laughs> give the Doc Coyle commentary okay. <laughs> and uh the, the criticism on that because I, I loved uh, Natural Born Chaos, but then the record after that for me felt a little flat. Like it felt very um obviously you guys were taking a more rock direction. Um and so it felt a little too much on that side, and mm-hmm. obviously that the previous record was your first record where it was all a lot of singing, and now it's that seemed to kind of dominate everything. So I was a little down on that record, but then sapping the drama to me was like, maybe you know, at if not the best record, like oh my god, they they've reached this other level. Where the thing I loved about that record was you guys brought a heaviness and a groove sensibility that mm-hmm. I hadn't heard on previous records. And I just think you just and at the time, probably I think it was the best sounding 
record because that was who did you did, do that record with that was with uh was that you produced huh? it uh no 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 we did that with bergstrand oh bergstrand yeah 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 so, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. so i thought the, the production was there and then i saw you guys on ozfest and to me that was the, like because to me i was such a big fan of the band and i knew you guys were doing a lot of stuff but i was always like why isn't this band bigger like why aren't they as big as in flames or big as arch enemy and then when i saw you guys on ozfest it was like okay people are you find you made that record that people are connecting to you guys because when i saw you guys on the um New Wave, oh, New Wave American Heaven. <laughs> I keep saying that wrong. The New England Metal Fest. Um, yeah. It felt almost like you guys were like a studio band, almost like yeah. you weren't completely comfortable in your shoes as performers. But yeah. by the time Ozfest came around and you had better songs and the songs were seemed to be more geared for the live setting yep. as well. Um, and you guys had so much confidence and you could feel it from, from the crowd. Um, and I was like, hell yeah, these dudes are here. And then you, right after that, you quit. <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's funny because I think, I mean, th th there's there's certain truth to that where, you know, there really is no substitute for playing live. I mean, and I, I can agree with, like, I think Natural Bone Chaos was one of those records that I'm incredibly proud of. And I think that it it um, it's a record that when I look back at it, Everything about that record is all positive. Like every, I mean, you, and when I listen back to the record, it's like, oh, I can, I can, I can remember moments when we recorded that, when we, when we wrote the record, and when we tracked the record. Um, interesting story. So 9/11, right? This was uh, so 9/11. We on that day, we were doing pre-production for Natural Born Chaos. Mm -hmm. And I remember that so clearly that that was one of those things because Devin was going to come over and, uh, and and help us produce the record. And we thought everything was going to just, I mean, we thought the world was going to end at that time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everyone did, you know? Of course. And, and then as I was like, oh, shit, you know, I don't know if Devin wants to come over here now. I mean, this is like no one really wants to fly. You know how it is, right? It's just mm -hmm. panic, all this stuff, right? But I think what we tried to do is just, you know, I tried, we tried to turn the whole thing around and just fucking feel like we needed to come out with something that was just so positive. I mean, because it's, it's funny. The record has a lot of major key in it, which you kind of can disguise in a way without making it sound like a German power metal band. No offense, but, you know, it's, it's you know what I'm saying? Like, you can do major key and you can do major key, like super happy, right? It's something you guys did really well, actually, that, uh, like you said, you, you, you put it in a certain amount of subterfuge so it wasn't obvious, and then you learned it. And to me, that was actually a very... From for me, like a, being a guitar guy who likes to learn other people's songs and rip on you, do something like, like that's actually there was this one song on the Godfrey album, uh, Earth's Blood called Empire of the Gun, and before we had a song title, it was Soil Worky because the main riff was <laughs> and, it, and it went to like a major instead of a minor, and that's that's why because that was kind of your guys' thing. Yeah, that's cool, man. I'm glad you picked up on that. It's it's. Uh... You know, it was just, we always like to experiment with those kind of things, you know, because uh, it was, I don't know. But that record was special. But looking at it from, from you know, hindsight, it's one of those things like we we went way overkill on that record to the point where when we played live, it was just like, we don't have a fucking 30-person choir behind us that can do all this stuff, right? You mean on it's figure like, number five? No, no, no. I'm talking about Natural Bone Chaos. Oh, Natural Bone Chaos. Okay. Because Natural Bone Chaos, we would like we would dub Bjorn's vocals to infinity, right? And it would sound huge on the choruses. And then we would come out. I will be singing 
you know, one melody and then Bjorn was singing the other one. It just, it just didn't translate well, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it's still an iconic record, in my opinion, with what we were able to accomplish, but it didn't translate well live, you know? Uh, figure number five is one of those records that, there, there are moments on that record that, that, I, that, I, that I like, but it's not my favorite. Um, Stabbing was... The biggest song, ahead. I was looking on, on Spotify, and what is, which track is it? I'm just telling you, Distortion Sleep, 10 million listens, and Rejection Hole, 5.5 million. So some people like that record. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah obviously right yeah it was um you know it was it was one of those it did really well in europe right and i, I think that maybe maybe that was kind of um i don't really really know but it's more of a mid-tempo you know we, we didn't have any really fast songs in that record which mm -hmm. i think we were i don't know that was at the time i guess it was intentional i guess we kind of had this like skewed perception that a fast song would you know um you know i don't know you know, you, you kind of get suckered into those things where you're just like, well, you know, maybe if we do stuff a little bit this way, you know, people will perceive it, you know, um, you know, better. But like I said before, that backfired, right? Because then if you don't write, you know, from the heart, it, it, it kind of, you know, you can kind of tell, you know, when, when, when something isn't really genuine. Mm -hmm. It's like writing songs, like if someone loves a song and it's like, oh, you got to write another song just like it. And you sit down and you start writing a song and just like it, and you end up fucking hating the thing because you're just like, no, you know, it's just like, this was spontaneous. You know, it, it, it came from trying to do something that you already did and you're trying to top something that you were already happy with and it just never really works out, you know? Mm. Or at least in my opinion. I, I just don't think so. Um, um, but, you know, stabbing was stabbing was kind of a weird one because I was, I was getting ready to move to the States at that time. Um, you know, but we we and i didn't i didn't care for the recording experience at all it was a horrible experience recording that record Why? i mean it really was well you know first of all i you know i think we were um we'd just gone through kind of like a weird time where we where we we went through so many different drummers right like henry left which was a big blow because he's a very musical drummer and I really enjoyed him. He, you know, and, and then, uh, we, we had a, had a guy come in for a little while that didn't really work out. And then Dirk came in, but Dirk was basically just kind of a hired gun, you mm -hmm. know, cause he had his other band Scarb. And so that was kind of like, we did, we kind of didn't feel like a unit, you know, like in my opinion, you know, it didn't really feel like it was a, it was a unit vibe, but Dirk is a monster. I mean, it's like, you know, obviously he plays in fucking Megadeth right now. So, you know, I always, always knew he was going to end up somewhere. I mean, like, great, you know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Right? Do you like the Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. This 
is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Either way, the whole recording experience was kind of pieced together. And I, I mean, the guy who was tracking our guitars was just a fucking nightmare. You know, like that guy was like, he would just edit the fuck out of everything. And I mean, I know I'm capable of playing all these parts. It's just a matter. He didn't have the patience for it. He would just basically comp a few guitars and then just piece everything together. I'm just like, dude, what the fuck? You know, plus I think the, it's interesting that people, I'm, I'm just, I think the guitar sound like dog shit on that record, but obviously people like it. I don't know why. I you mean, know, it's just like you, you, you know more than I. I mean, what are the in terms of success and record sales and stuff? I mean, I'd imagine that have to be one of your top albums, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it did really, really well, you know, and and uh, and that's great. I mean, I think the songs are really cool, you know, and it's it's a different, and you know, we we were moving into that more, you know. I always like groove, you know, like for me. Like Pantera, I know it's cliche, but I've, I've liked Pantera since Cowboys from Hell, right? But it was just always one of those things where I was like, how the fuck can someone write riffs that are just straight up blues riffs and just be so groovy? You know, like, I, and on top of that, just have someone who can really sing, you know? I mean, it was just, I, I maybe, and that's kind of where my songwriting over, you know, over time kind of had just, you know, morphed into more of that, right? Like, a groove is just something that's never going to go out of style, right? So I don't know. I mean, it was, it was, it was a, um, you know, I think once we, once we were done with the record, I was I was pretty happy with it. But at the same time, the, the process was horrible making mm. that record. Absolutely horrible. But um, um, so so you ended up leaving the band. Like how how long did you tour before you left? You mean in general? On for, the, for for that record for that record. Oh oh oh. Um, I think in total, maybe we did close to a year on that one. You know. Oh, so you did like most of the cycle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah actually, I, I did. I think I saw you guys at BB uh, King's in New York on that. As yeah, well, with Darkest yeah, yeah, Hour, yeah. and you were fucking great then. The crowd was going ape shit for you guys. It was amazing. I wonder if that was yeah. That must have been. Or was well, that a, you know, or no, that, no, no, no. That, that was that was probably a later. That was that was a tour when I came back later on. You know. Ooh. All right. See, yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah so I'm the, crossing my wires over here. The 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 tour we you know we did a couple of tours afterwards, but the big tour we did was basically the last tour I did. Before I left was um, Darkane, Soilwork, well, Fear Factory. Uh, yeah, Strapping Young Lad, and Fear Factory. That's that was a, a huge tour. That's a ridiculous lineup. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Uh, you know, but at that time, I'm, I mean, I don't know. It's tough, man, because when you've made up your mind and you you just kind of like, it wasn't. Um, it was. It was strange because for the amount of touring that we did. It was still, you know, there were still just, 
the financially there was it was still not really working out you know it was just it was kind of how it was you know and it's it's i mean i can say that now because i don't give a shit but it's you know people think that when you reach a certain level of success you know oh, you're gonna make all this money you know? and it's like well you know it's not necessarily true you know i think especially now you know but back then it was like um it just it, it they're just you could come home after a tour and basically get nothing I mean, you'd be out for six weeks and you get 1500 bucks. I'm like, how the fuck am I going to supposed to? I mean, you know, it was one of those things where it's a lot. And a lot of the guys, you know, and who lived in Sweden, they had very, they, they kind of adjusted their, their, their living to kind of, you know, live off of stuff like that, you mm-hmm. know, but me, it was just like, dude, I mean, yeah, you pay rent and all this stuff. And, you know, it's ex- more expensive to live in the States. And it's like, I gotta make some money, man. It's like, you know, it's not a matter of like, I'm not planning on driving around in fancy cars, having a huge house. I just want to make sure that. I could at least pay for all my bills, you know, and all this did stuff. Did you have you know? a, did you start a family at that point yet? Or were you still, no. you were nope. still single? Okay. Well, I was, uh, no, I was married. Okay, I mean, the married. reason I moved, the reason I moved to the States was because I got married. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my wife was originally going to move to Sweden, but she had a big family over here. And, uh, and I was, I said, well, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm touring anyway. So it doesn't really feel fair to, you know, for you to marry me and then move to you know, cold ass Sweden. And, you know, like where it's dark, like eight months of the year. And, you know, <laughs> that didn't seem fair. Right. So that's the whole reason everyone's like, I mean, I don't know that, that, that was the reason I moved over here, you know, and which I don't regret. I, I love living in the States. I really do. Um, so the next, you know, the next record where you left, did you have anything to do with that? Sworn to a great divide? Nothing. None. All right. Nothing. So what do you, is that weird? Is that like seeing someone going out with your girlfriend? Or no, something? I, I, I uh, no, I, and honestly, it was just one of those things like they, they, they rode off of that momentum after I left. And I think everyone was kind of anticipating, you know, to see how the next record was going to be. And I mean, I, I love those guys, but that's definitely not one of the best Sorok records I've heard. It didn't. You know, it, like it, it did not do it for me. It had one of your sickest album covers, but yeah. I feel like it didn't. It didn't do it. And um, I mean, previous to that, like, how much writing were you the main writer, more or less? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's like we were. Always, we always wrote. Um, you know, everyone could write in Soil Work. You know, saying so if they wanted to, but you know, at the time, I was just you know I. I've always, ever since I was really young, I, I normally would do pretty complete songs like in, in the computer, like I would program drums and do all this stuff and I would show him, right? It's like, hey, here's my idea. And, you know, and, or me and Bjorn would write stuff. I would send stuff to him. He would track vocals. So we kind of like have an idea of like a, a pretty much a, you know, finished song, right? So we would basically just tweak it slightly when we go into the studio. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I ended up writing a lot. I mean, I would say, you know, me and Bjorn wrote majority of the stuff. My uncle, when he was in the band, he wrote a lot of stuff too. Sven, the keyboard player, is a phenomenal songwriter. He just, mm-hmm. you know, some records he he came with a few ideas, and some he didn't come with any. You know, and it's, um, it's, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, listening to that record, you know, that was kind of like how you described figure number five. It was just, I mean, for me, you know, I think it was a record that they were hoping to basically break into mainstream stuff you know but in my opinion that was just I, I didn't really think it really did that you know yeah so so during this time you're you're producing so i, I guess you do what yeah. do you, do? you work with darkest hour you work with nevermore yeah, yeah, yeah. actually that was going really well uh, at the time i was um after i left soil work you know i kind of started doing production quite a bit more 
um, I started doing a lot of um, the, the thing. I think when we so once I got my green card, we moved out to LA, and then you know Nuka Blast contacted me, and they wanted me to do this you know uh, anniversary record that they were uh, you know putting out. Mm-hmm. I guess they thought that hey, Roadrunner succeeded with that, and they had all these famous people, so why don't we do the same thing? And you know, it's going to be just successful, you know. It, it didn't. It didn't really become that <laughs> successful, right? It, it's. I'm just like, well, wow, I don't even remember right. this. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it's. It's. I'm. That record is. It's. I'm still happy about that. That, that turned out to be a really good record. What was it called? It was called uh, Out of the Dark. Out of the Dark. With, uh, it's called Nuclear Nuclear Blast All Star. See, I mean, no one really. They, they did a shitty job promoting this thing. Spent spent money on like you know, I wrote the entire thing, produced it, and I had singers like I had. Uh, Christian from Scar Symmetry, Scar Symmetry, and then I had uh, Mark from Death Angel, uh, the guy from Exodus. Wait a second, had, you wrote uh, every song? Every song, yeah. But to, to me, that kind of, not no offense against you, I think that defeats the purpose of the idea. Wouldn't you want a more diverse palette of Nuclear Blast songwriters to kind of give... Well, I- I pitched that idea, and they're like, no, we want you to write everything. I was like, all right, cool, that's fine, you know, and and, and it was, you know, so it was the other guy. Should have been the Peter Witcher uh, solo record. <laughs> well, well, not really, but, you know, because I wanted to kind of write songs that would fit their vocals, right? Like, mm-hmm. so the John Bush song was kind of more of a rock song. Uh, you know, it's it's not metal, dude. I mean, because for me, it was just like, well, that's cool, because there are some songs that are almost like black metal. So there's, like, uh, the guy from... Uh, was it Winter Sorg, I think, or something like that? Yeah. Uh, so the whole record has, like, every single song is a different metal song, mm-hmm. like a, a different style, right? So that was kind of a challenge for me. And that was my first real, like, big production thing that I did. And um, I ended up, uh, I didn't mix it, you know, but I produced all of it, you know, and then uh, went to Sweden to mix it. After that, we uh, we decided to move to Nashville, I kind of, you know, no offense, but I had enough of L.A. at that time, you know, and I kind of wanted something that was a little, you know, <laughs> no, more, offense, a little, no more, offense here. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, a little bit more calm. And, uh, you know, and, and when I went to Nashville, everything, you know, I kind of had a couple of records. I did a World Dane solo record, for example. Mm-hmm. And you, you, uh, wrote did, a, you wrote a lot on that, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I probably wrote about 70 percent of that record and produced it. Um and then after that, I mean, I did a bunch of different records at that time. Um, and then the recession hit. The there rec- you go. The, the recession hit, and you're like, I got to get that that big uh, sore work money back. Get my get my dude, get my fifteen hundred like, at the end of the tour. <laughs> dude, I was like, fuck, man, I got to do that, man. It was just it was the, the best choice I've ever made. No, I was, you know, I think at the time, because everything pretty much dried up at that point. I mean, like everything changed. I mean, 2007. I mean, it was just. I mean. I don't know how it affected you, but I mean, it was just like it went from, you know, people being paying X amount of dollars for to do a production to like, well, this kid can do it in his basement for a tenth of what you can. I'm like, oh, okay, great. You know, it was kind of like that. Everything changed. Everything changed. You had within that time, you had five dollar gas. You mm -hmm. had the actual uh, the actual economic crash. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had really a changing of the guard with social media. So that was pretty much the end of MySpace. Um, so, so bands weren't really getting that, um, that boost that was, that was going on from that. You had, uh, really the rise of, um, streaming started to happen around that, Mm -hmm. around that time. And then, like you said, the, the rise of the, um, the bedroom producer, 
right? So, mm-hmm. so, so people, you know, the the technology got better. People realized they they couldn't really do this, and then all of a sudden, that's when you really started to see record sales started to diminish because around, yeah. even though downloading had been out around two that that two thousand four to two thousand six, people were still selling a lot of records. Yeah. But, but around that time, around two thousand eight, we started to really see the the actual physical sales start start to go down. So yeah, every you know, I really think the the whole industry kind of was was changing underneath everybody. So we were all dealing with that with that struggle. But um yeah, and you have to you have to adjust and you have to figure out what how are we gonna survive? How are how are we gonna do that? And and you know, people don't often think about that when it comes to the record industry that it's not necessarily that artists ever made a whole lot from royalties. Artists didn't. We just were able to use that that those big advances to spend it that went to the producer and that went to the guy that made the video and the person that designed merch and the person that, you know, there's all these other economies that that were existing. You know, I remember uh Clay Patrick McBride, this really great photographer that did our our um photography for the album gone forever and Mm -hmm. then the next time we and he was like almost too busy for us you know because he was just doing everything he was amazing and the next time next album he's like yeah guys i'm ready because because the whole all that money from the music industry it kind of because you think about it all the magazines were closing up so all that money was going away all these huge budgets you know so we did it for like half the budget and he was more than happy to do it because right you know, people don't realize that they think it's, oh, it's just the artists that get hurt. No, it's every industry around that. And, you know, you see that all over the place, all these great uh, legendary uh, recording studios closing down. Produ- oh, yeah. Producers who that was their main thing. Now, now they've moved on. They've, you know, like I was talking, I had a Mike from Darkest Hour on here who's t- talking about Brian McTiernan did their records. It's like, yeah, he doesn't do, he doesn't produce records at all anymore. You know, he completely moved to a different field. So, your your story is 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 not uncommon, yeah. and and for me as a fan, I have to say it's also the best thing happened to me because I think Panic Broadcast might be your guys' best album or or right there with it. I think it's so like that song. Oh, I, I actually gotta gotta look up the name of this damn song because this shit gets <laughs> this shit got me. So I was like dancing and jumping in my room <laughs> and smiling. Uh, two lives worth of reckoning. That's yeah. One, that's one of mm-hmm. the best. Story work songs ever, period. And I'll fight someone if they disagree. Like it is so Dude. every every note of it just seems like perfect. Like it's all placed every, I don't know, everything's great about it. that solo. Oh my god. I love that's, that. That's that's that was interesting because that was one of those things where that was probably me at my peak of production and songwriting. Because yeah. I've I've been do I've, at that point I've been working with production for so long and I've been analyzing um you know songs and you know like just being around that for so long it was just like i I told myself i was like i'm gonna give this record like 110 percent, you know and and i feel like we spent a lot of time writing that that album and i said you know you know what we're just gonna do whatever the fuck we want to do with this record you know and not really worry about like oh let's write stuff that's gonna be like this or it's gonna be like this oh maybe we should have a radio song fuck that i said you know we're just gonna make a record that where we play what we want to play. Obviously, Nuclear Blast at this point, they were just asleep at the wheel. They didn't do shit for this record. And I mean, absolutely zero. Why do you there think was, that is? I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, when the, it's so, when I came back to Soilwork, it was kind of a, 
you know, they were hit hard by this whole thing too. And they've, they've had some stuff going on in the band and, you know, another, you know, lineup change and all this stuff, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a weird time. It was a really weird time. Um, it was a funny story was, and I'll tell you because people are like, Oh, you mean the end of the story is basically me leaving soil work again. But let me tell you when I, when I decided to go back to soil work, you know, obviously it was a, it was a mutual decision and, you know, they, you know, me coming back to the band was good for them because they, they just kind of, there was, there was turmoil going on in the band. And for me, it was a way for me to kind of still stay relevant, you know, like in, in a way to, I mean, and I'll, I'll, I'll openly admit that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to bullshit anyone. It's just how it was, right? I mean, I was doing productions and, you know, by, you know, nowadays, you know, you don't make that much money touring, but being in a band, it's a platform for you to basically, you know, help you um, promote other ventures, mm -hmm. whether that be a podcast or, you know, like Misha, who's brilliant with marketing of his own products or someone else who's doing something else on the side. It's a great way. It's a great platform for you to kind of, you know, help you promote yourself. And whoever says that you're selling out is just they can keep living in their parents' basement, you know, for as long as they want. That's all I'm saying. You know, it's it's a it's a matter of you got to hustle, man. That's all I got to say, you know. So I and that actually did help me when I when I went into when I rejoined Soul Work, you know, I started getting more production gigs again. You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, oh, OK, cool. But it ended up I ended up fucking burning myself out both ends you know because you know it, it was just it was too much the thing what happened was the day we announced that i was coming back to soil work we had just had uh you know bjorn came to nashville we went out drinking we had a great time me and my wife and him and you know and uh <laughs> it was kind of fun we went to this barbecue place just you know ate like pigs and we had like oysters and shots and all this stuff and then the next day we announced it and then my wife comes in uh, and she's just like, she's, she's holding up, like, she's like, you know, she comes in, it's like, um, she gives me this, like, you know, little thing. And I was like, holy shit. She's like, yeah, I'm pregnant. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I mean, I was like, this is the worst possible timing, you know, ever. I mean, it was just like, uh, and it's, it's not that I wasn't happy about it. Right. It was just one of those things where we've been trying a way back, you know, a while back. And then it's just like, I was like, yeah, you know, whatever, you know it's this is not that's not going to happen right so we was like okay let's so i had to i basically um i basically just decided that you know i was going to go for the back to the music thing and get out there and do these things you know and and then that kind of happened so that kind of can explain to i mean some people can probably relate that that no i haven't spoken about that openly that you know the fact that my wife got pregnant me going on the road my wife being at home, being pregnant, right, and and just like it was kind of it was it was a tough time, right? I, I, because it was just like I was torn between like I didn't really want to be on the road when I have a little kid, right? That was just how it was, right? My, well, my kid is older; it's a different story. I mean, I, that's you know, he he's more independent, and you know, I, he. It, but when I just really wanted to be there, right? When it was like when he was little, so he was born, and we were basically doing this whole thing, and I just I just ended up being like. I don't want to see my son grow up on Facebook, right? I mean, that was basically that was that was it for me. But at the same time, I was doing, I was touring, and doing productions at the same time. If I wasn't producing when I was at home, like seven days a week, I brought it with me, and I saw even when I was traveling across time zones around the world, so I was still producing. And it just, you know, there 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 comes the limit when I realized that my brain never stops. Well, that's one of the reasons why I became successful. 
but it's also one of the downfalls because I've never been able to self-control my brain. It's just, I, I don't know if you can relate, but it's just mm-hmm. never stops. Your thoughts just keep going. And the more, you know, you think that you got to do more and more and more and you can't control it. And all of a sudden it's just lights out. Mm-hmm. That's what happens, right? Did you have like and a nervous breakdown or something? Yeah, it was a dude, complete nervous breakdown. What, what, what nervous... happened? What did you, what did you, on tour or you were? What... No, it was after, I think we came back after a, uh, uh, it was after, after we did a, a tour overseas, it might have been in Asia, and I was, you know, I was doing a record, and and I just remember coming back and just being, and feeling like this is just too much, dude. I, I, I can't do it. You know, it's just I cannot do it. It was just like cause I was going to be home for about a week, and then I was going to do something else, and it was just, you know, uh, I mean, the, the the best thing I should have done would have been to just be like, I need a break. But I was just, I basically just quit cold turkey. I was like, I don't want to do music anymore. I mean, I was at that point. I was just basically saying like, no, no, no no band, no production. Done. Like, absolutely done. Like from, you know, just the, that was just the the only way I could figure out that I could get away from everything was Mm -hmm. basically just to be like, nope, done, everything done. And so that's when we started Sober. I said, it wouldn't be right to you guys because this is another, you know, hey, same story again, right? And I was, I felt bad because I was like, fuck, you know, like I, uh, you know, because I, I love the guys, right? And I, I you know, I, they're, they're a great group of guys. I mean, but it was just one of those things where I was afraid that it was going to hurt them again, even more when I left the second time, right? So I was like, you guys have to get a fill in or whatever, make up some kind of story that I have back problems and I can't tour. And then we'll figure it out, you know, when we get to the next. Um, you know, when we get to the fall or whatever it was, right? Never tell people you you might have back problems. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to get it's dude. I have you. back problems. Yeah. I mean, I already dude. Me I have too. Me too. What is it? Horrible what is ones. What's up with these handsome guys with shaved heads that get I, back dude, problems? I don't know what it is, man. It's like you know, funny. But when I left Solberg the first time, I had such bad back problems because you know you sleep in a bunk. I'm six four, dude, and I sleep in a bunk. I have to sleep sideways, and you, you kept just drinking to in order to be able to fall asleep and. And, and, you know, I, I didn't lift weights or do anything, no exercises whatsoever. I started doing that after I left slow work, you know, because I realized like, yeah, that's I don't why really that, want... that hurts you. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I didn't want to just pop pills to just manage the pain. I, that's just not me. I was just like, whatever. But, you know, so, um, well, you know, so that's, I quit cold Turkey, man. I just, I just didn't want to do music ended up. And it was a really, really. That was a really dark time for me, man. It, it was a really dark time. I mean, this is the first time I ever talk about this stuff to, to the public. I haven't, I haven't spoken. No one ever, even most of the people that know about this are my close circle of friends or people that I trust. So mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck right now, man, because I'm in a good place. But it was one of those things where. Um, now, what, I didn't what, want to... what year was this? <sighs> was this 2011, maybe? Okay. 2011. So I, I, I was, I came back to Solrock. I was with Solrock for another three years and we did the record, we toured and all the stuff. And I mean, actually we finished up the, their old, they were in a touring cycle. So we finished up that touring cycle. We did two tours. And then after that, we took about a year to kind of like write the new record, do all this record. And then we toured for a year. And then kind of, I, that's when I realized that was too much for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I don't give a fuck what, what, what trolls say on the internet. It's just like, I know it's just like, oh, he quits again, whatever. Dude, I don't even care. You can make your own presumption 
it's just I know what I had to do in order to function. You know, it was just either that or I was just going to go out like a light. It was that was kind of how it was, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, but I mean, a lot of the friends that I know, I mean, a lot of people that I know that have, uh, that are in music that have kind of like this same you know, ADD brain that kind of like <laughs> never stops, you know, like it's this, it's exhausting, but some of the most creative and most brilliant people I've ever met have the same problem. It's just like the, you can't shut off your brain and you can, you need an outlet, whether that's exercise, outdoors, music, whatever, something, because that's what drives you, but it's also your enemy. I mean, it's two different, it's yeah. two things. I'm, I'm definitely the same way. I feel like I'm probably not as productive as you. <laughs> I, I, I tend to, I notice now I'm I'm so much more galvanized by uh, politics and yeah. philosophy. Like I'm I'm like trying to like it, to me it's almost like the the world and the way people function is like this uh, puzzle I'm trying to solve. It's just mm-hmm. it just completely fascinates me the way you know just what motivates people, um, what differentiates us, race, religion, um, you know all this all this stuff you know just. I'm really getting into philosophical concepts, you know, it's like, you know, and on a really deep level, and I just want to learn everything about it and try and understand. So I, I'm kind of, you know, I still love music. I still work on all that stuff. I'm in several bands, but, um, but doing the podcast and doing the writing allows me these other outlets to kind of express myself. But I'm, I'm, I'm that same way. I can't, I can't sleep. <laughs> My brain, yeah. I have to, you know, I feel like I need a straight up, um, like a light switch. <laughs> yeah. Whoever yeah, invents oh, yeah. the, the light switch for your for your brain, you know that that person will definitely be a, a billionaire. Here's the thing: I can sleep, but it's one of those things like I can go several days where I'm just I operate on very little sleep, and then I'll get to like a fourth and fifth day, and I'm just exhausted. Just like I can just sleep through the sleep through the weekend. My job is pretty stressful too. What I'm doing right now, but either way, it's just one of those things. Like even when I was. I spent so much time, you know, honing in on the craft with music or production, like to to, to the point where it was obsessive, like, I mean, completely obsessive. But I, and I didn't really have anyone else. It was just me. Right. And uh, normally you end up doing production. So you're like, yeah, OK, so we're going to take Sundays off. And then, you know, we're going to. But then after, you know, once you get to the end, it's like, oh, fuck, man, we're, we're, and you have to and you end up pulling like all nighters for like for the for, for the last two weeks just to get it done. Right. And then after that, you're fried and then you have like. Oh shit! I have five days, and then I'm gonna get in and do this again. You know, it's it's just kind of how it is. But for me now, it's like I only do music now because I like to do it, not for the intention of making money. And you know, because I have, I don't really have time to to. De- I can't dedicate the same amount of time doing that now that that I have all this other stuff going on. Are you, you actually? Know? So I see you post these videos of you playing guitar. And I, yeah. just, and I hear it. I'm just like, man, that motherfucker still got it, man. I'm hey, just you one of those <laughs> Thanks, dudes, the, just the tones in the hands, man. Just like, just hear the, you know, that vibrato. I'm like that motherfucker, man. Just oh, that's sounding good. <laughs> so are you actually doing anything like outside of just jamming around on your own? Yeah, I mean, actually, uh, it's funny because it's been uh, a couple of years in the making. Um, so when Howard Jones left uh, Killswitch. Um, he contacted me and basically told me, he's like, man, I want you to, I want you to write a, you know, a solo record for me. I was like, okay, cool. That sounds like a cool plan, you know? And then we, we just talked about it and, you know, he kind of, you know, needless to say, he, he and I, we both had our, you know, not with each other, but, you know, he had his things going on, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so he kind of like went dark for a while. 
Um, no and pun, I kind of no pun intended. No pun intended. Hey, hey, it's <laughs> that's. <laughs> um, but you know that that. Um, and then I kind of like had my thing where I was kind of done with with uh, you know the whole music thing, but I was kind of getting a job. So actually, I think it was about a year ago, year and a half ago, I wrote some stuff, you know, and I, I sent it to him. And he's like, "Dude, this is killer," and, and nothing ever came of it. And um, and then basically, he he reached out to me about a year and a half ago, and he was like, "Dude," he's like these songs are so fucking good, man. He's like, we can't have the world not hear this stuff. And I'm like, and I said, I told him, I said, you know, yeah, man. I said, you know, I know you would talked about it before, but it kind of never happened. I said, if you want to do it, man, let's, let's just, let's just do it. So he flew here. Um, he actually came to my house in the beginning of this year and we tracked, uh, we tracked two of the songs, you know, and, uh, what's it you know, like? We, Cause, um, what's it like? It's it's not fast. It's but it's super. Is it, is it heavy? Is it metal? Yeah. Or is it more? Oh, it's more metal than rock. It's well. Let's just put it this way. It's it's the production will be probably like big, fat, heavy stuff. But the the songs are really melodic, you know. So it's kind of like uh, some of them. It's it's some of them are really groove based, and some of them are really kind of like just big, huge songs. You know. I mean, I wrote it with the intention of just. I want it to just be like a silver platter for vocals, right? Mm -hmm. Just be like, because I mean, you know, needless to say, I'm a, you know, I love Howard's vocals. I mean, he's a great singer, you know, and, um, and I kind of just tried to take his style into consideration when I was writing this stuff that, you know, I think I have like, I think we have like six or eight songs, you know, and we've done two and we're just trying to figure out, cause he's been so busy with his uh, other band and, uh, I've been the most of the year, like from spring until fall, it's kind of the busiest time of my, you know, when, when I work, but we still talk all the time. I mean, we're both enormous, uh, you know, MMA fans. So we, we would like geeks texting each other all the time when someone's fighting. Oh, hey, did you read this or read this? And, you know, whatever. But, you know, he's the guy who actually got me turned on to podcasts. Oh, right. On. Like, you know, I think for me, I know I'm all over the place. But anyway, so Howard's probably we're going to try to figure out for him to come uh, back to my place this fall and uh track a couple more songs you know but we're doing this because we think it's fun and when we're ready we're, we'll probably it, release it to is it actually world. going to be at howard jones solo album or is it going to be like a name no. for it it'll probably be yeah we're trying to figure that out i mean it'll be it'll be it's not going to be a howard jones solo album it'll be like a it'll be like you know kind of like a sort of a band thing you know but like i said we're just we're just kind of uh like i said when you write together just to, and you feel we didn't know if the chemistry was going to work when he got here, right? So when he got here, we just started. I was like, dude, I'm just, I just took my hand from some. I was like, fist bump, let's do this. You know, and it was, dude, it was from there, it was just, it's funny because I'm sitting in the room where, you know, where we basically were tracking. And he was like, we were getting so stoked on this stuff, man. It's, it's, um, it's cool. It's cool stuff. It, it really is. It doesn't sound like soil work. It doesn't sound like kill switch. Uh, but it's, it's something that I think that anyone who would, who likes kill switch or who likes, soil work would probably appreciate it right well i'm gonna be very excited to hear it i <laughs> I, I i can't imagine the youtube fellas putting some real work into anything that you're passionate about would would turn out not amazing so i think people are going to be really excited about it cool man yeah like i said well uh, we haven't really set a deadline on it yet but you know it's funny as soon as we posted that picture where we were just goofing off you know um you know i got 
I got emails the next day from record labels like, oh, what is this? I'm just like, no, no, no. I was like, we're not there yet. I said, we're just we're just having fun right now. But it's <laughs> it, you know, it's it's very flattering. It's very yeah. flattering because I haven't done anything in a long time. Right. So it's just you know, it's just kind of like feeling out, feeling out if I can still, um, you know, if I'm still capable of it. I mean, I'm like, because, you know, when you don't write for that long, like a couple of years and you get back to it and you hear all these other people that are just you, you think that they're light years ahead of you. It's like, oh, shit, man. Um, you know, I don't know if I still got it, you know, like that's kind of how it is. So the stuff that I do where I'm just posting like me just playing like little clips, it's literally me just jamming and just be like, all right, well, fuck it. I'll just, I'll just post something here. It's, it's, it's not pretentious at all. It's just me, you know, doing stuff that I feel it's, you know, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like to me, just jam. It doesn't sound like you're doing some, some crazy elaborate thing. So before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you real quick. So, uh, for the listeners, know, So, you work at Fender now. What, yes. What? Uh, how long have you been there, and what exactly do you do you do? So it'll be, it'll be. F- I've been there for almost five years now, and uh, I do. So I do product development for Jackson and Charvel, which so you basically get to play guitar all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you th- you would think that when you work for a company uh, where you. Uh, where you get to be around guitars all the time. It's like, oh, dude, you know, but it's it's one of those things where at the end of the day, sometimes you don't even want to look at a fucking guitar. Hey, I'm not complaining. Things could be a lot worse. And I really do, I really do enjoy what I'm doing. Um, it definitely has its perks. And I get to, I still get to meet a lot of the people, you know, that that I've um, that, I, that I got to know, you know, like uh, in my in my previous, you know, ventures with music. So it's, um, you know, it, it's cool. It's really cool. And do you ever pine do you ever like what's your reflection on the touring years or the the band life because it, it couldn't be i imagine it can't couldn't be any more different from a more domestic kind of family life i mean oh you, this is this is full-on corporate america that's yeah. what i'm saying yeah. so dude the, my first day there i started in customer service so that's let me just tell you i started in customer like service answering and phones was, and stuff or oh yeah dude i was doing tech support that yeah. was that's how I started, dude. I was like, I'm not. When I'm telling you that I left everything, I just, did, dude. It was like a clean slate, you know. Um, started out, but it, because at the same time, I was like, what was I gonna do? Was I gonna try to like get a job in marketing and be like, hey, you know, uh, I know nothing about this, but I'm gonna come in. I, I used to do this, you know. And it's like yeah. that's I wasn't. Gonna, I was like, dude, I I believe in hard work just from the bottom. So I mean, because I'm like the best way to learn is just to start at something and kind of, you know pay your dues and I'll do all this shit. So I started out there. Um, and that was, that was an experience, man. That's, <laughs> and that kind of morphed into me t- getting more responsibility. Uh, I was in R and D at the time. Um, so I kind of got to learn all the things about construction of guitars and, um, you know, I started working together with marketing and then marketing basically said, well, we want you to come up and do product development because you're doing such a good job down here. And I mean, the rest is, is kind of history, you know? So, Right on, man. Well, it seems like you're doing you're doing great. And I love, you know, one of the points of this show is to kind yeah. of um, let people who are like us, who yeah. have gone through the ringer of the industry and, and a lot of because or I'd say even more for people that look at what you've done, what I've done and say and yeah. think that's the dream. And we did. And listen, we did a, t- a ton of amazing things, but there a it will not answer all of your problems one <laughs> it will create all new kinds of problems even though yeah. it's it's amazing and special and i wouldn't take it back for the world 
but also kind of show people that there is light after the tunnel. This is oh, not yeah. this is not the only thing we can do. Um, and especially if you're you're motivated and staying positive and understanding that just because one chapter ends doesn't mean that the next chapter can't be equally incredible, but just in different ways. You know, I agree with you, and I think it's one of those things where. For anyone that's getting started with music, you know, I can tell you that I look back upon my years of doing that, you know, with most of it in a in a positive manner. I mean, because you you experience so many, like you said, you experience so many things that are just wild and crazy that people can't even imagine that you've done, right? I mean, and then you have sometimes we're just like it's just a three twenty three hours of waiting, and you have one hour of showtime, right? But I wouldn't trade this for the world because I think if I didn't do this in my life, I think right now at this point in my life, I would just be itching and thinking, it's like, but what if I, what if, and I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live. I don't want to, you know, when I'm drooling in the oatmeal, you know, when I'm older, I don't want to be the guy that basically like sits there and be like, well, I should have done this, you know, when I was young, but now I'm too old. You know, like that's why I'm saying like anyone that wants to do music, just fucking do it. And honestly, just realize that, like you said, form a band and, you know, just jam out. You're going to suck in the beginning. That's all good. You're going to get better. And, you know, you're going to find your way. You're going to go on tour and you're going to realize if these are actually the people that you want to be together with, because that is the test. Yeah. You, have, you know, you go on tour with someone. I mean, whatever kind of quirks there are with the people, I mean, you're going to have to work that out, you know, and, and it's just, you know, it could be the best experience in the world or the worst, but still that's that you, you, you have, it's, it's part of it. It's really, it is part of it, you right. know, but right on, man. Those are, those are wise words, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
I love that song. That was the that was the jam I was talking about in the conversation. And that's from that's two lives worth reckoning from the Sore Work album, The Panic Broadcast. And you know, I'm feeling that shit. Not much I can say about that. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Peter. I appreciate uh, him giving me his time and, and really being open. Like he said, he he mentioned a few things that he had never spoken about publicly. And I appreciate that. And listen, guys, anyone out there, you know, if you're an ex-member of a band, an ex-member of really anything, you know, a company, uh, ex-alcoholic, um, or an actual superhero, you know, a mutant, you know, you can come here. This is a platform for you to express yourself, tell your story. I am here. The Doc Coyle is here for you. All right. And also, you know, I mean, as you can tell, I do, I do, I do like to talk a bit about myself. I have to bring it around to my shit too. So, you know, it's for me too, but you too as well. It's, it's us. All right. All right. It's not me. It's we. All right, fuck it. Mamba out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.